Qu'est-ce que c'est C'est un morceau que j'aime. C'est joyeux Ce n'est pas joyeux, mais c'est vivant. Ça raconte l'histoire d'un orage qui monte. Et des insectes qui le sentent. Et s'agitent. Et la tempête qui éclate. Avec les éclairs et le vent. Vous entendrez la suite. Milan est une ville de musique. Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I'm Mario Ponzio. And I am Tom Nolan. And this is episode one, part one, part Mario. Yeah. Tom Maybe we'll put some like, like heavy drums in there. Like, like when like Bane enters or whatever. Yeah. Rises. Or maybe I'll just put Bane. Just, just all throughout this, just Something. lines from Hello, just that entire speech he does at the stadium, just so mm. you know, just so the disappointment of that scene matches the disappointment that this episode will will bring. Well, it's just like two. What's this? What is it? Three year, two years, nine months, and some odd days to this point. It's a long time. We started in August 2018. July, I think, wasn't it? I think we. Was it? I feel like it was July. Recorded? I thought we recorded in July. I'm maybe not gonna, episode zero was. I don't. Maybe remember. episode zero was July. I don't remember. Regardless. I thought we saw. I thought we saw. Um, fucking what's the name of it? Uh, I'm sorry, sorry to bother, bother you. you. I thought that was a July movie. Possibly, but I could be wrong. It'd be good if we had. Uh, if I had looked this up before I made any comments. Well, the, huh? Just That'd be great. The the lists are too long. Yeah. Like to look it up on on on. You Stitcher, to, you just have to keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. I mean, we have like what 180 episodes at this point. It's like 150 something, which I think is bizarre. Yeah, I mean, that's just like a lot of episodes. I mean, I think we've done a good job. We've done this almost every week. I mean, we put a new episode up every week. Yep. Whether or not we've been sitting across from each other every week is a different story. But I most mean, we've weeks, had, we've had a couple episodes where they've ended up being sure, like mixed tapes episodes. I don't know what to call Those them. Those are the always mega, super good. The mega episodes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I think we've only had, what, one delay this entire time? Um, maybe two. I think one for technical reasons, and then one um, for technical reasons, like biological reasons. Yeah. <laughs> because my eyes didn't want to open on Friday night. Disappointed. Disappointed in your inability. Hey, I didn't, get, I didn't get a blood clot. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's important. <laughs> you did it. That's important. But yeah, we're here at number one. Um, 
you, you, you know what my number one is already? Well, because and it's just... not a surprise, and I've been spoiling it all along, and you heard the French in the beginning. If you didn't know it, you're now like, oh, yeah, no shit. Right. And if you didn't see the title of the episode. Unless you don't want me to put the title in the episode. No, title. put it put it in. Just put right. the title of the episode in there. So, yeah, I mean... This is the second time... Is this... What? Is this the second time? The only time an episode <coughs> has happened twice, basically? I mean, we talked about Widows. Mm, I think so. But Widows was a part of a numbers episode. We had a single episode on Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and we, we were reviewed, doing a reflection we, of Portrait We reviewed Widows. We did, but it was part of a numbers episode. It was a... It was a I believe it was an A block episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so it was an A block, and then we had our numbers. I can't remember exactly what number it was. We were in our seventies, I think, back then, eighties maybe. Hmm. Um, but anyhow, anywho, uh, our film today, Eloise, was once you know working to be be a nun, and <laughs> the beer I have is com- <clears throat> it's nicely related to that, but it's not the reason. It's the beer. Uh, it is Monk's Cafe, which is breaks the rules we have it is a belgium beer uh-huh um from belgium however it is there is a monk's cafe bar and it is brought in in philadelphia mm. so philadelphia is pretty close i believe it plays plays into the rule the reason that this beer though stands at number one is this is the beer this and sea hack were the two beers upon my arrival to connecticut you were issued that yeah no that was issued so sea hack has a really Big important part of my life because when we first started hanging out at Delaney's, mm. which we have to go back to now that it's open and we're getting vaccinated. Yay! Um, we, we would drink sea hags during happy hour. Mm. You know, it, it was buy one, get one free. It's so a that, little wooden token, yeah. So number fifth, was, was that number fifth we did that? Or number 60 or whatever? <sighs> yeah, the sea hag episode. It was the 50 the sea, something. The yeah, yeah, yeah. sea hag episode. That beer and Monk's Cafe. Um, I don't know remember what brewery it's from. It's from a brewery whose name I don't. Brewerje uh, van Stingberg. That's perfect. Um, perfect. And one of the first places I'd go to here was Rudy's. Mm. It's a downtown New Haven bar. Rudy's 2? Uh, the downtown one on Crown. Well, so they had moved. Yeah, after they had moved. So after they had moved. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. After they had moved. Um... Yeah, that's something they would have. They always have Monk's Cafe. I think they still do, because last time I was there, they always had Monk's Cafe on tap, and it's the beer I'd always get. It's the beer I'd love. Mm-hmm. It's what I'd drink, like, multiple of, even though I probably shouldn't have. It's a Flemish sour. It's only a 5.5%, so it's okay to drink multiple of it. Mm-hmm. But it's a Flemish sour, so it's, a, it's like a, you know. You feel that stuff in your but mouth. It's, it's different than last week's Antioch in the fact that um, it's sour, then sweet. Unlike Antioch, which kind of stays sour, uh, it's got a it's got a pretty thick head too. That's what she said. That's what she said. Um, and then she and then she smelled it for a while. Yeah, this is nice dark caramel color. Yeah. It's got that nice but red to it. Pink. Which like how we just fl- finished on my side with two Flemish sours. Mm. Ooh, it's much sweeter. It is. Um, not as good as out of the bottle as it is out of the tap, but I still like it. It's, it is a sweeter beer. Grapeier. Yeah. Hmm. It's interesting. Have you never had this one before? I've never had this one before. No, I kind of, I mean, 
me and new Rudy's don't super get along. Um, for no reason, just the fact that I'm a loser, and I was mad that they they left. Not a John Paul reason. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, you know, I'm sad. You know, Rudy's might still have this beer, but it doesn't have John Paul anymore. Unless they do, I don't know. <laughs> I don't yeah. know anything about it. No, I, I always appreciate this beer. Um, still like it. If you ever get the chance to get it out of the tap, I would suggest that. Well, I'm, I'm assuming it's more full. It's, it's more, more full, full body. body. Yeah. Um, this is a little flatter. Yeah. I would say. Um, I will say out of the tap, it's sweeter. Mm. It is a bit sweeter, and that grape flavor is more forward. Um, but it starts. But the sour's kind of lost here. Yeah. And out of the tap. It starts out with a nice puckery sourness, but then coats it with like a great sweetness. I mean, at least it's the sourness is present, so I'm mm-hmm. not. It's not one of those things where I'm just completely. It's completely devoid of sourness, and it just tastes weird. Things like taste pretty nice, but I think I, I can I can imagine what you're saying while you're saying it. Like a little more body to this, a little that would enhance the sweetness, which would make the like the flavors just a lot brighter. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is a little more muted, but um. Yeah, for mm. biological reasons, Monk's Cafe is my number one beer. This is the last beer I'll ever present on this podcast because as we shift out of your number one, we're going to stop doing the uh, presentation of beers. Well, we'll yeah, just drink. Every, yeah, and every so often, if there's an interesting beer, we'll pop it in and be like, we're drinking this beer. But, guys, it is fucking annoying. Yeah. <laughs> it was fairly annoying doing 60 or so beers each we did, I'd say. Um... Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that to remember, and I think I, this is, I, I like the fact that we're kind of doing this at the end here. Um, I think something that people need to consider, and not, not that many people listen to this thing, and maybe they have, whatever. We paid for all the, these beers. Uh, <laughs> all but one. Which one? East Rock Brewing gave me a free six-pack. Because of this? Because I, I said that on a podcast, and I'm like, oh, I'll just take it. Nice. Yeah. So all but one six-pack. Not a six-pack, sorry, it's a growler. Oh, okay, even worse. Even, all but one growler. We paid for it out of our own pockets. We have no sponsors, no nothing. We just conceived of this idea, and we're just like, oh, yeah, we'll just do that. Well, as we said in the genesis of this podcast, episode zero, um, this you know comes down to drinking in the bar, which has always been called like the worst way of doing a podcast. But I think we grounded ourselves near the end and have started just talking about film and film news, which well, is I guess good. Okay, but... Worst way to do a podcast, I guess, but you know, I listen to some movie podcasts that are like structured and have rules and they ask questions and they kind of play games. It's like, I don't want to do this either. No, no. I would rather just listen to two guys just kind of argue incoherently sometimes about about movies or other stuff related to movies. It's just yeah. more interesting. That's re- what I mean is re target ourselves down to just arguing about movies. Mm. We, uh, <laughs> we were off kilter in the beginning. Love. I listened to episode zero recently. Woo! And, you know, episode zero I think, actually think is better because we're doing a lot of movies. Episode, the first episode we did is fucking tough. No. We talked about I think Eyes Wide Shut for so fucking long. We hit our stride around the fugitive episode is where we started. I think so, yeah. yeah. I think so. Which is interesting because that's the one that has a lot of listens. Maybe. Maybe that's where they were just kind of like, oh, okay. I think, is, like, Accidental Taurus, because that was the first interesting one where, like, we had a real dissension, is, like, maybe where we started digging into it, and then from there... And I think it's interesting, too, to go to kind of segue into our thing. I think there's a point where... Um, it was it happened very early, where I think we had to start paying attention. Oh, well, Accidental Taurus is the next week. So Fugitive, then Accidental Taurus. Yeah, but I even think a little bit maybe before that... Um, 
it was after, I think maybe clean, like, what was it, 98 clean shaven was the first week when I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to, like, pay attention here. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to just kind of go off of, and I think, I don't know how you felt about it, I always thought that I could kind of, like, just recall these movies at, at will, and that I didn't actually have to, like, watch some of them. So, like, Eyes Wide Shut, like, I watched some of, but I was like, I know Eyes Wide Shut really well. Ratatouille I'd seen, like, a million times. But Clean Shaven was the first one I was like, oh, yeah, I remember it, but watching it again made me kind of, see new things and I was after that I was like I have to pay attention Yeah, I have my, to bring something to my all my first two films in the professional Moonrise Kingdom were not really films that require a close eye mm-hmm. um, my 98 Double Indemnity was also not something that requires a close eye it's around like 97, 96 of mine that like I think there are films you hadn't seen before in Polanski's Macbeth and Green Room I saw, I, I saw Polanski's Macbeth and Green Room yeah where you know it finally comes into <clears throat> Actually paying attention, new things, clean shaven, mm. um, which we'll talk about in a bit, is is a film I hadn't seen before. So yeah, I think we hit our stride a couple weeks in, but we really got down into it after like three or four months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think to so we're not going to do a new movie this list, uh, this week. We're going to kind of keep doing some reflecting. I think to that point, I one of the uh, the really fun things about this. Uh, this experience because it's kind of what it was we've been doing this for so long it's not just like a thing we're doing it was it's like a whole big it's like a much bigger thing actually feel really weird about it like in my mind it's like one fourth of a lifespan i feel like i'm shedding something like every week we get closer to the end of this i felt weirdly like like a like a letting go um in a weird way like i don't i don't know why i was feeling this huge burden from this thing but it, it did like really now that it seems like it's leaving, I feel kind of like freer. Um, but interesting, I I feel emptier. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a nice feeling because I'm not one to complete stuff and like these like artistic projects. So yeah, and we we this was. I the- mean, barring me, either of us dying in the next week, we're gonna finish it. And even if you know one of us dies, the air one can just talk about your number one. Yeah, maybe. It would be really appropriate too, actually. When you think you'd about have it. J- you gotta have JP over, and like, uh, it would be appropriate when you think about it. That's it'd be, true. It'd be beautiful. I would definitely wipe my. I would definitely wipe my ass first, <laughs> under my legs from the front. Um, I think what we're gonna do, what we just said, we're gonna do those kind of reflect on not our own lists. We'll do that kind of. We'll do that next week, but reflect on each other's lists. So like having to pay attention and having to kind of really dig into all these movies made it so that each of these movies, in a lot of ways, was their own unique experience. Mm-hmm. And even stuff you had seen before, or you like stuff you had seen before. I know for me personally, kind of saw it in a new way. Kind of, I was able to come to it fresh. There was stuff I hadn't seen before, and that had. Um, all this stuff, like layers of stuff on top of it. Um, and then there were some movies, and I don't know if it's the same way for you, I had no expectations for them. And those movies kind of like blew my mind. Uh, like just really like hard. Like I aggressively. I, I think I know one of those, but... I can aggress- and, and I guess I'll, I, I'll, if I'll start. We kind of did a top five. I'm going gonna, gonna to talk about more than five movies. Yeah, these are just necessarily do- my top five. They're the no, ones no, 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 like- just... You know, really struck me. And I'll go um, first only because I literally said it last week on the podcast. Um, I saw The Devil was a kind of revelation. I think in a way because I don't usually jive with those types of movies. Um, I guess I do. I mean, 
and I guess it just depends on the movie. But I went into I Saw the Devil knowing nothing about it, knowing except for the fact of what kind of movie it was, and just assuming, like, this will be one of those kinds of movies. And I was just kind of blown away by how brutal it was, but also how elegant and, like, how well-composed it was and how emotional it was. And, like, I found myself... I take the... I would, if I was this movie, I would take it as a compliment that, like, I wanted the ending to be, like, more brutal. Because I just wanted, I wanted the the continued escalation of of the violence and the stakes and all of that stuff to just to just just rise and rise and rise and rise and rise. And the fact that they they slow down to this kind of beautiful little you know uh, you know construction of a scene there um, was great. But it just kind of was like I was like oh I remember that when we did that episode I was like I just wanted so much for him to just like do something terrible to him forever. Yeah. Um, but that's, I mean, that for me, that was the one, that's like the major, the major takeaway from your list is like getting to see that movie. And I still have a visceral reaction to my memory of that guy eating like raw human flesh. Like it's just, I can kind of feel, it, like it does something very specific in my body when I bring it up. Like the glisten of his teeth and like the way he kind of slurps it and how he was eating it and all of this stuff. It's so fucking disgusting, but it's so good. So good. Loved it. Um, I would say, so my first one that I'd really want to mention um, is your 55, La Jete. Mm. Not, not a film I had seen before. I'd been a big 12 Monkeys guy mm-hmm. um, when I was younger, but... I'm not. I was never an experimental film guy. I Eraserhead, you know, doesn't do much for me. Mm-hmm. If you look at my list, you can see not a lot of like weird attempts at experimentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think two of your films that really worked for me, um, you know, one's more narratively driven, uh, lean heavily into that experimental kind of filmmaking technique, mm-hmm. and La Jete just just worked for me in so many ways. Just that the the still images. Um, the sound design, everything, while so minor and so controlled, like so minor, I guess I should say, felt so controlled and contained. That's the uh, David Lynch police coming to arrest me for my <laughs> race red opinion. It'll, um, it'll be Jack Cruz driving that, <laughs> that ambulance. I mean, it was a surprise. I remember when it started in the first, you know, two or three minutes. I was, I was sure I wasn't going to have a good time with mm-hmm. it. But I feel as though this narrative is superior to even to Twelve Monkeys, mm. um, just because it has this inherent drive to not lose focus. Yeah, it is contained and controlled. It's experimental, but it's experimental for the sake of. Co- you know, telling that plot and driving forward, not for distractions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's what a, that's one that really surprised me. Um, another one, kind of continuing on that train of surprising, is your forty-seven shattered glass. Um, woo woo! Shattered I glass. Don't like. I, I, I guess I want to. I guess I'd call it like the true life sort of situation or the biopics. They don't really jive with me, and this entire genre. Of the early 2000s, this is 2001, 2002, I believe. Three, but it could be one um, of those. That, that yeah. early 2000s kind of genre of film that was doing the real kind of like true life story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Never worked. And it always felt so rote, so cheaply made HBO original film. Mm-hmm. And this one has that sheen to it. It mm-hmm. feels, 
it looks cheap. Oh yeah, still. But Hayden Christensen and Skarsgård are just so absolutely elementally charismatic together mm-hmm. that it surprised. It was shocked me to see two actors who I, I think Hayden Christensen's fine. I all have always thought. Peter Skarsgård kind of sucked, which is a weird opinion to have, I guess. I think he's so overrated. Yeah. And I think it was from this movie that everyone was like, he's so good in this movie. And then every time he would go do something else, and Kinsey maybe too, where he he had these kind of dual movies and it was like, anything he does is good. And then you watch other stuff and you're like, it's okay. Yeah, and Paul Bettany happened and people were like, oh no. We just replaced Peter Skarsgård <laughs> with Paul Bettany and it's much better. Um, but the, the way... They feed off of each other. It's so electric. Mm-hmm. And it rises above the rest of the material for me. It, it is, and I, I think it's fine. I think, like, overall, the, from a direction standpoint and from a writing standpoint, it's a fine movie. You know, it's, it's maybe one of the more superior films of that, of that time, but I do think it's ultimately forgettable without oh, sure. those two. Yeah, there's something weirdly kind of, you said charismatic, and you also said electric, and those are, I think, the two perfect words. Um if a if a, a duo working together can generate like a third charisma, like that's something that's something too, and I think that's that's happening there as well. Especially like someone like when he yells at him on the streets of Washington about like the hotel. Mm. Like there's like clearly something right in the middle of them that you're like, whoa, geez, like this is just weirdly uncomfortable and great. But or you know the the one scene I always like to go back to from the beginning of that episode of that podcast episode just. Just listening to it, listening to Christensen and um, Skarsgård when he's saying, like, I don't know what I'm going to do to myself. And yeah. just, you could just listen to that scene, it, and it works. Mm-hmm. It, oh, yeah. You, know, you don't need to see it's great. the faces. Great. Very good. Love it. Um, I'm going to tie in my next kind of comment to I Saw the Devil. I Saw the Devil is, is a horror, eh, horror slasher. What, what would Revenge. you call I Saw the Devil? A, re- a, reven- a, a revenge thriller-ish, kind of? Yeah. Is there not like a... Like it's a, a horror, for sure. A, yeah, so one of the reasons I think I was so surprised by it was that like, I'm not a horror guy traditionally. I have movies that like on my list that horrible things happen to, um, um, but I'm not necessarily like a horror, a horror person. I think one of the things about your list that I've found interesting was that I... Or one of the things I think you should know, maybe you do know this already, I gave all of these horror movies like an honest shot. But like from a traditional horror standpoint, uh, it's just not, it's not my jam. No. It's not my, so like, you know, you have Halloween on here. And I, I, I don't, like, I, I guess, I guess I see why it's important. Like, I just don't, it doesn't move me. Um, it follows like, you know. Kind of the same thing. Audition, which I was just like waiting this whole podcast to like watch Audition. And I was like, it's cool, but it's not like scary. And it's not making me like feel anything. The first half of Green Room is like the closest we get. And that's, and I want to single out the first half of Green Room until they discover the drug lab in the basement. The first half of Green Room was fucking amazing. And I think it, per, and as like a, as a band guy, and I've never played a, like a, a club like that, but I've played some shitty fucking clubs. Um, I've been in volatile situations with band members, either because we didn't like each other or just because of like circumstances, or whatever. That shit is, gets close. That stuff is, it seems real for a long time. It is uncomfortable and then it is horrifying and terrifying for like, a good long time, and then they just discover a drug lab and 
and I'm out. Um, and then it just kind of like limps off. So like, Naked has that movie. issue, but um, like, but the, that first half of that movie is kicks fucking ass. Yeah, I'm okay. Like like we said, I'm o- I, I agree with you. The drug lab doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just when he, they leave the drug lab, I just pretend it never happened. But that's the thing, and I've, it's it's part of my problem is that because I didn't come out of like genre of movie making I always have that stupid fucking rational part of my brain that like when something really stupid happens I'm like well that's really stupid like of course there's a meth lab underneath Mm. and they like just can't commit themselves to doing this totally fucking awesome thing for like an hour and a half find a way to do this just figure it out figure out a way to just whatever the dynamic is happening here just do that don't add an extra layer of silly to it and what you need to do is if you want to add an extra layer of silly to it just do this and that's the other thing the guest i'm not i don't put the guest on this list because the guest is just fun the guest is just an action movie and it kicks ass and i think one of the other i things, did the grenade tossing yeah, by the way in case everyone knows <laughs> they can they can feel at this point i think one of the fun things about this list and like i talked about it with die hard um, like me and my wife just stayed up all night watching Die Hard, um, and the guest she didn't watch the guest, but it kind of works in the same level. Does Lethal Weapon on your list? Yeah, yeah, Lethal Weapon. I, I, mean, I felt the same thing when like Mel Gibson's like running across like the highway. Um, revisiting these action movies in the context of like them being pivotal, as suppo- as opposed to working the way that I thought they would, which is me watching them being like these can't be pivotal, watching them being like these kind of kick ass. And if you're watching them from at the correct age and at the correct moment in your life, like you're never gonna forget this totally kick-ass feeling, like because movies don't kick ass like this anymore. I mean, there's parts of Nomadland that are fun, but like not like Lethal Weapon. You know what I mean? That's a joke. <laughs> no, I was, I was just trying to think of like action films of today. I can see some working. I think if a kid at my age saw The Guest. Like when I saw Die Hard, guest the guest might get like get in there. It's not it's not nearly as good, but well, the only reason I would argue against that is because there's there's some personal stuff in it. The Departed could work. The de- the de- well, maybe yeah. The, de- <laughs> the Departed is really weird. I think it could that could be fun. Yeah, 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 I guess so. It's funny. It's yeah, it's funny. I mean, the guest. The only reason I don't think with the guest is like a lot of close range death, like personal death, where mm-hmm. everything in. In like something like Die Hard or Lethal Weapon, even when it gets like the violence gets intimate, comes it's with a in the context of like this bigger, much bigger thing. And so. all of the close deaths come with a joke. Mm. Like even um, Takagi's death comes with a the paying of the yeah, 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 for sure. But wait, so what, what's the movie you were gonna make? Was it just horror in general? Just horror, but I'm gonna, I settled on Green Room as like the first half of Green Room is like something that like kind of transcended all of the things that I had traditionally thought about that genre of, of movie making. Was that bit, so was that when we were off air you said the two movies you just didn't get? Or is that a different thing? No, there's something else I don't get. Okay. Um, so the next film of yours is a movie I'd seen, a movie I'd liked because I thought I had to and because I was finding things I could like about it, but mm-hmm. it wasn't until this rewatch, you know, uh, a couple months ago, sitting down, I was like, I fucking get it. And now it's like near, not near the top, but it's definitely near the middle of this director's filmography for me. Mm-hmm. And it's only because it's an extremely solid filmography. It's a director we'll talk about because we have two movies of his we need to talk about. Um, Magnolia mm. is for me. You're number 10. Um, it had been something I'd seen, something I hadn't 
thought I enjoyed, but like <clears throat> I guess at the time I had seen it or the place I had seen it, I hadn't never seen it. As I said, all kind of like all the way yeah, through, yeah. Um, and seeing the parts I had seen, just like it felt well made and good, but it just didn't jive with me. And mm-hmm. so I always kind of expected it to be a laborious experience because there's been there was a couple of films of yours on the list that I had seen parts of, um, and then sitting down for like the whole. Uh, it didn't really work for 400 blows. Doesn't this still doesn't mm. ever really yeah, work yeah. for me? Yeah, I remember that one. Um, like Baraka, I, I get the personal connection, but like that is the one that yeah, I yeah, just yeah. didn't enjoy. But you know, um, Magnolia was one I was kind of afraid of doing the same thing, and it was just so entrancing all mm. the way through. No, I have a question about that. Is that so? You have a it's weird that you have a Paul Thomas Anderson movie on your list, I think, because you're so not like a Paul Thomas Anderson guy. Um, not because there's anything wrong with you, just because it's we've had this conversation before and like he makes movies and you're like, it's a good movie, but it's not like gets inside of you. Do you think there's anything about like experiencing Phantom Thread with the way you did that maybe opened you up a little bit to like a new PTA experience? I would say maybe if There Will Be Blood wasn't still just fine. Hmm. Like when I talked about it, I was like, Bill Blood is still good, but I'm not in love with it still. Um, I did have a better appreciation for Boogie Nights. Um, I still think the master is good, but yeah, there's it's 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 maybe that like mid to th- mid to like early 2010s Paul Thomas Anderson, where I guess he got like grounded and period and whatnot. Um, Mm. That I just don't grounded in period is like a great way to say it. <laughs> that I don't really connect with mm-hmm. as much. Um, and then when he he loosens up again, because mm-hmm. um, I feel as though Magnolia, even though Magnolia's dour at some points, is serious. It still has this kind of like weird looseness to it. Yeah, yeah. And Boogie Nights has that as well. Um, and then when he does that again with Inherent Vice, which we'll talk about. Yeah, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do some. Um, and you know, Phantom Thread has a ton of looseness. I think that's when I get. You know, I, I find him most enjoyable. It's when mm-hmm. he's being, he's such a talented filmmaker, but he's being loose. Mm-hmm. And I think The Master and There Will Be Blood, while I appreciate them, have a little too much control mm-hmm. for me. For sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, the next one is an easy one. Um, and I think it's it's a testament, I think, to the way that we did this and like the attention that we were giving to everything. I love Akira Kurosawa. Um I've seen almost everything he's ever made, um, but I haven't ever, I don't think, seen it in context. I haven't seen this stuff in context of thinking primarily about film as the thing that I am I'm thinking about. And I think when I talk about like shedding something or like a looseness kind of coming over me, um, it's that uh, my mind seems like it's going to be freer to think about other stuff for a while because I've just been, I've, I've honestly just been thinking about like, two movies a week, at least two movies a week, every week, for like 150, 150 weeks or whatever. When we got to Seven Samurai, um, it was like a fresh, a new, a fresh, and like a, 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 a um, necessary viewing experience, where I no longer saw it as like the thing that's kind of everybody wrote about um, as this great movie. Or as definitive of anything, or an influence for anything, I almost I was almost able to sit down and watch it like it was not the first time I'd ever seen it, like it had just come out, fresh eyes, basically. just not even like fresh 
like time eyes almost where like I was in some kind of art house theater in Manhattan in the 50s just kind of being like Bosley Crowther's next to you what the hell like everything everything these are these are shots that I've seen before but everything seemed like a shot that I'd never seen before um like like the, the the choreography, the way the sound was working, like the 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 narrative, like the narrative always just seems to get glossed over. It's just you to get a bunch of samurai, the character development, you get a bunch of samurais together, and they fight these other samurais, and that's your movie. They defend this town, and there you go. But it's like I was able to kind of extract so much so much depth out of it. I mean, I really do think that it is maybe like the pinnacle achievement of of. Of film, like in a lot of ways, and I think I'm not. I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say it. I think there's some some pretentious douches that would say something else. I mean, I don't even know what it is. I don't really see. <laughs> I said it was North by Northwest last week, so. But I don't even really see how you can kind of argue, like you know. If, so even if you look at North, and this is not to disparage North by Northwest or your choosing of that movie, but look at one movie and look at the other movie. One movie has fucking hundreds of people dancing around on screen everything's in a perfect focus um it's in black and white but you can almost just kind of sense the 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 colors and and you know there it's like this true visceral experience for three hours um and one of them is an expertly crafted um genre good time genre film um and again it's hard it's like comparing apples with like a brick um or like a brick and like uh, a donut or something like it's they're just like different things yes but um, it's it's it was it was a revelatory experience it was really weird it's interesting because coming back to I, I think seven samurai would fall <clears throat> further on my list just because on my rewatching of ran hmm. like like ran for me is like his his perfect film but ran is your number th- five five yeah so it's not like it's like no, I don't just, no. like, push it up. Like, <laughs> no, you no, would it, it just? It, I don't know if it like could fall further, but like seeing Rashomon <laughs> with fresh eyes, seeing mm. Throne of Blood with fresh eyes, like I just think maybe because they're just more in my wheelhouse. In the end, mm-hmm. I think Seven Samurai is his technically perfect film. Mm-hmm. Um, just just the expertness of that, but like it's weird. Like I feel as though in the pivotalness of it. Like, maybe I lost some of it during this list, which is interesting. What's weird? Yeah. What did you lose? No, no, that's next week. Yeah. I don't, I Make don't, a yeah, note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make a note. Oh. All right, you go next. Um, I, I kind of mentioned this off air. Uh, I'm making my note right now. Um, it is it, it early on, and this is where uh, the excitement of this podcast kind of kind of came in because it was going to be new things I see. Um, you know, even though I like liked Eyes Wide Shut, um, it didn't. It wasn't too surprising that I kind of dug it. Mm-hmm. Um, Ratatouille I'd seen before, and it wasn't until you're 98, clean shaven, Lodge Kerrigan, a movie I'd never even heard of, mm-hmm. um, just sh- shook me. Mm. I guess as the kids would say. Um, is that what they, is that what they yeah, say? Sure. Uh, we've talked about on this podcast, my love of sound, my love of sound design. Um, and we haven't talked about it, but we need to, my love of Peter green. Mm. <laughs> you we, know. Have to, we have to do a separate, the mask podcast. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but no, I like as a kid, like I thought he was one of the best, coolest villains mm-hmm. just cause it's just like, it's a zany film, but he's just like, so unzany. 
Oh yeah. Um, well, even when he's even in the Pulp Fiction, even as Zed, when he like shows up, you're like, well, this guy is not fun. Yeah, he feels this guy is not fun. He feels like he's in a different universe. And yeah. Somebody and I, you know, you kind of want for the longest time. I was like, oh, it's because he's not good. Um, I mean, he's draws an eye, but he's not good. And then you see clean shave, and you're like, I'm wrong. Mm. Um, and that film has such control in its sound and such control in what Bob Kerrigan's showing you. And that led me to like watching like the first season of Kerrigan and Amy uh, Simitz doing the girlfriend experience. Mm. And that was great. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's unfortunate. I really wish Lodge Kerrigan would come back to film for a bit. Someone just got to give him some money. You get some of that knives out money. Yeah. Maybe knives out is now a production company and fucking Ryan Johnson can give some to other people. Yeah, like you don't. You, yeah, come on, Ryan Johnson. Give, you, you're inspired by Lodge Kerrigan. Well, I think it, it just, I, I think they're like in the same kind of thread of people. Well, the thing that you just mentioned is the that thing, a crazy thing to say? No, no, and I'm sure he's. I'm sure they're in probably roughly that same group. I was listening to um, a podcast where uh, two people were ranking the top their top five favorite movies. Uh, first films from directors born between 60 and 80. 1960 and 1980. So right in this kind of like late, this Gen X-y, where the boomer generation meets the, the Gen X generation, stuff like that. Um, and I think both of those guys belong in that in in that group of, yeah, that group of directors. Yeah, 57. Ryan Johnson's got to be in his 40s, but I assume. But I almost guarantee you that Darius Martyr... Like was a is a big clean shaven fan, like and well, kind of used that as a template for when he was making Sound of Metal. He was like, "Here's a thing I can do, and here's how I do it. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna adapt this for my own purposes." But it, it, I would be surprised to find out that like he didn't own a criteria a well spun Criterion edition of that film. Yeah, be very surprised. It's just it's just such a great exploration of insanity and everything. It's 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 a movie that I think is. Just it is fairly passed over, right? Like in the modern, I think passed over is being very generous. generous? Yeah, okay. I think it's just like a not a movie. It might as well not even exist. I actually think it's not even clean shaven. I think the stuff that came after clean shaven, I think, is probably even worse off in modern cinema. I mean, he has a couple of movies. Um, Damien um, Damien Lewis is in one. If, uh, I Claire that. Dolan is the only one that I really. No, have heard of like yeah. Becca H and Keen are films like Keen is the other is the one that like I'm thinking of. I wouldn't even be surprised if some of those you can't even see, but maybe you can. But um, like they're just they're just out. They're not Criterion's. It's not like there's a Lodge Kerrigan box that Criterion put out. Um, Claire Dolian's around. Is so it? That, that's it. Yeah. I remember seeing that and wanting to watch it. You could rent it for ninety nine cents on. Um, it's probably like on Tubi or something. Um, I'm going to go the opposite direction. I'm going to go big, and I'm going to go name brand stuff. Um, I already kind of talked about this about like refreshing my love of stuff. Um, I've also been one of those people like for whom the old classics. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm okay with them. I'm okay. I know they exist. I get it. It's fine. Um, but I loved rewatching Psycho. I loved it. I actually really liked rewatching It's a Wonderful Life. I thought it was awesome, like, watching it this time. Bridge Over River Kwai was, like, a fucking big-budget, like, 
action movie. Like when I watched it this time, I was just like, yeah, like every kind of every moment that happened. Not just a projector. I didn't even have the projector then. It was now like, that you have it, I know it would be awesome. Um, Night of the Hunter was another one of those things too, where like it just everything seems so weird this time around. And again, I, what you need is separation because I'm watching these movies because Roger Ebert is telling me to watch these movies. So I'm reading his great movie essay, and then I'm like finding the movie, and I'm watching it, and I'm being like, "Oh, okay. Well, that's the, there's this scene, and Roger Ebert says this, and then there's this, and that's my experience with the movie." I'm coming to these movies 20 years after the first time I saw them. Experi- almost, like Experiencing them new is one thing, but just like having so much fun. They're such fun movies. And then the other, the last movie I'll mention, this kind of little brick of black and whites, um, old black and whites that I just loved. I mean, watching Bicycle Thieves was just the fucking best. And that movie is the heartbreaking, but it's beautiful, and it's gorgeous, and it's it moves like in ways that like modern movies don't seem the camera does things that it's that modern cameras don't do it's picking up things that modern cameras don't do like the faces are so expressive expressive everything seems so alive in a way that like i just kind of i forgot that like to movies can be because they're just traditionally their experience is so sad you know what i mean it's like oh he makes these sad movies i think we watched imberto d to do that as i <clears> feel <throat> like we just both watched it because they're kind of part of a the same it just whole. makes you want to watch it yeah which is so weird because like you're not supposed to want to do anything after you see those movies but you're just like oh and now i just want more DeSica in my life and i just want to experience more of those things um, so those, all those black and whites, though, get fucked Metropolis and Double Indemnity. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> Double Indemnity is fine. <laughs> and Metropolis is what it is. Well, Metropolis was just on my list because of the, the story. There's no, it. there's no, yeah, there's no way to experience the history Metropolis. Of Metropolis is fun as hell, though. <laughs> sure, and but I feel like the same thing is true for something like um, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, where like you can go on Google Images and see every shot in the movie and like. In the context of it's one shot, you're like, that's a cool shot. And then you watch it and you're just like, oh, yeah, it's just doing this for a long time. And it's cool, but it's, yeah. you know, it's not doing anything for me. Well, I more met Metropolis in the history of, like, it leading to Nazi Germany. Oh, sure. Well, <laughs> that stuff happens. Yeah. Um, so my number one, um, it's kind of like a uh, confederation of films, um, you know, uh, Last Days on Earth, um, twenty thousand um, day, but not Last Days on Earth. Twenty thousand Days on Earth, mm-hmm. and um, what was the other? One more time with feeling. One more time with feeling, um, and the last waltz, kind of were all, you know, great experiences as I kind of like got into music, but number fifty, your the Beatles anthology, surprised me. Um, oh, do you still, still want that? I still have the first disc. Do you want the rest of them? I keep forgetting to ask you. Um, you don't have not to yet, yet. Not yet, though. Okay. But the fact that I... When, this, when we started this podcast, I looked at that and was like, no, I can't I remember. do it. And I sat down with some whiskey and was just enthralled. And it hit me at that right moment. Um, I'm still not the biggest Beatles guy, but that story and the way that film works... It, it gave me this weirder and, you know, my burgeoning kind of, like, love of music. Um, it, it was this perfect storm. And it's always great to have 
you know, just like the worst tragedy is to really look forward to a film and have it be an abject failure. Mm. Um, the greatest joy in film is to, to go some, go towards something with a ton of fear and a ton of apprehension and just have it work on mm-hmm. all cylinders and have it, you know, elevate something you weren't a fan of. Yeah, 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 for sure. You know, what turned out to be like this this fear like of like going to the dentist sort of fear <laughs> ended up being a really fun time. Well, good. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a, such a weird that's a weird thing and it was like a weird thing to put on my list, but it seemed very necessary. I mean, that was a fun that was a fun kind of experience all the way around. Not the weirdest maybe. one you had on your list. What was the weirdest one? Oh, easily. It's a great pumpkin drawing. No, that's the best. It's not, just, it's not it's a great pumpkin drawing. <laughs> All right. So here's, let's end it with here, here, Mario. And you need to answer this question for me, honestly. Oh, is this the, 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 the two? When you Does Lawrence Olivier to... stink? Because you got three movies on here. We got some Hamlet, Wuthering Heights, and Rebecca. I kind of think he stinks. He's bombastic. I just don't get it, except for when he's just going, except for when just mumbling through his lyrics, his uh, lyrics, he's, when he's just like mumbling through his lines or just like racing through them. I just, there's something about Olivier that I don't get. And I'm, I don't understand it. And I want to understand, like, what am I missing? There is an interesting story that Gabriel Burns tells in Walking with Ghosts. That's about, his autobiography? That's his newest autobiography that just came out like in January, where he talks about. Like, he went up to Olivier or something, and he asks him a question, and Olivier basically goes, tells him to fuck off. <laughs> and then he gets a letter from Olivier, like, and some alcohol, I think, like, or maybe gets a drink with him. Um, a couple weeks later, just saying, like, I was just trying to remember my lines, and, like, you got to me, and, you know, I'm sorry. And that's the thing. I, I don't know if Olivier's good. Everyone but, says he's great. But he is charismatic as hell. And if there is something I respond to, it's presence. Mm. I'm a wrestling guy. We've talked about this. Mm-hmm. I appreciate a person who can just stand there and just draw you in. Mm-hmm. And while sometimes his line reading was off, while sometimes he just kind of like tiredly, like Cary Grant reads through his lines, you are drawn. I was always drawn to him. In Rebecca, he carries that air of mystery better than. I felt Orson Welles did in Citizen Kane. He can't, like it's just because hmm. Orson Welles didn't have that charisma to him. He had presence and talent, and maybe Lawrence Olivier didn't have that. Um, but Lawrence Olivier had just this je ne sais quoi. See, and I would argue maybe the not the opposite is true, but like maybe Olivier has the talent, and Orson Welles has just like the rawness. Because I would rather watch Orson Welles do stuff than I would watch, rather watch, like, Olivier do stuff, personally. I mean, I don't think... There's nothing in these three mo- Olivier movies that matches... I'm not even going to say Citizen Kane. That matches, like, the two minutes he's on screen in The Third Man. There's just not. I mean, like, he just... He doesn't even seem like he makes any sense. Like, in the movie that he's in while making... While completely owning... All the suspense of who this guy, of who this guy is. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, th- it's, I think it's a me thing, man. I, I don't. And I, I think when I was watching his Hamlet, I was just like, oh my god, I'd so much rather be watching Kenneth Branagh do this than no, I do this. And I, and the whole time I was like, that's not right. I know that's not right. That can't be right. But I just, I think Branagh's better at doing Hamlet than Olivier was. But I think just Olivier. 
carries mm. just that like Barana's a an actor playing the role, whereas Olivier's just is a is Olivier. I guess so, it. and yeah. it's just like this magnetism. And I guess that's the kind of problem is that like. Olivier being Olivier for most of my life didn't mean anything. And that's why, like, in Marathon, I don't think he's great in, like, I don't love Ma- him in Marathon Man. Because mm-hmm. he's an old dude who's kind of just lost it. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he's younger, when he's on the ball like that, it just worked. Mm. I don't know. I'll always feel deficient. Like, I'll <laughs> read all these things about, like, you know, who was the best person you ever saw this? And these people are like, I saw Olivier do you know, whatever, on the stage in 19-whatever, and it was the greatest acting performance ever. And I'd be like, I, 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 it's hard for me to believe that. Like, uh, Ralph, I feel the same way about Ralph Richardson. Like, Ralph Richardson, I mean, Audrey Hepburn, uh, Catherine Hepburn also tried to ruin that um, Long Day's Journey Into Night adaptation, but Ralph Richardson didn't help it either. And he's just like another one of those classic actor guys. I'm just like, I don't, I don't know what he's doing. Every time I say, I'm not, I'm not jiving with it. Every time we say Ralph Richardson, I think you're saying Robert. Like Rob, is it Robert Richardson, the cinematographer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, and I, I think that's just some people have those things that just don't work for them. Stanley Kubrick doesn't work for me. Mm. You know, uh, rewatching all these, these the Kubrick films you had on your list. Um, you know, I I have a few that, mm-hmm. that are on my list, but uh, like Eyes Wide Shut from yours is the only one that still gets get like connects. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but for the most part, his entire filmography just falls flat. I think Barry Lyndon is I would rather fucking pull out my wisdom teeth. Well, that's why we're not doing a special episode of the the uh, Stanley Kubrick movies that we we didn't get to because we'd have to watch rewatch Barry Lyndon. Yeah, and also and I'm not doing that. Every time you'd want to do that, you just I'd rather watch a Tarkovsky film. Oh, yeah, let's watch more Tarkovsky films. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all for that. And that honestly, just to close out, that's probably almost the biggest the biggest joy too of this podcast in Discovery was was those pandemic episodes that just like go into science sound. I mean, is when we figured out kind of how to do it and we, you know, knew how to alert each other that our internet was dropping, that was a those were informative and eye opening and uh just really cool to talk about if only we could have not seen balthazar again i think we're i i think we're wrong no i don't know how i don't know how we're wrong i've expressed multiple times how we're not wrong about that movie about how everything else is doing it better and that movie is redundant i don't get it yeah i don't get it what was the other dryer movie oh um or dead Dead, which i like or that's okay yeah but it's like the same thing i was just like i know i'm supposed to be enraptured with this movie but i am not yeah, Balthazar is not dry. Yeah, it's like um, Balthazar's not dry. Um, um, Balthazar is oh my goodness, this is how great Balthazar is. Balthazar uh, Getty. We can cut this part. No, Bresson. Oh yeah, Bresson. And um, yeah, you know, Diary of a Country Priest. Yeah, when I saw yeah, that. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, 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 I would yeah, rather. That's the other one. I would rather watch Paul Schrader do this ten times better. Well, of course. Oh, yeah. And by ten times, I mean like infinitely. If better. If Paul Schrader was like, you know what, I'm going to spend the rest of my existence on earth doing is remaking every person movie i would i'm guaranteeing you i would like them more than the original person or whatever you you suck maybe he doesn't no he did we we tried i think we tried i think we tried hard uh, pickpocket and a man escaped man escaped i tried to give a fair chance Mm -hmm. but like no no we definitely tried none of these work i don't know mario (sighs) maybe in the next maybe like 
a year from now, we'll both get together and we'll just shake our heads and be like, we rewatched them. They're really well, working now. A year from now we would be a good reason to get back to it. Because mm. mm. it's 2022, and we know it happens in 2022. What? Sight and sound. Oh, yeah. What if Alhazan Balthazar is number one? Well, then we just shake our heads and just go on through with it. Mm. I wonder if your movie will be on, on that list. Yeah, we'll see. I wonder if it will be. I, I don't think so, but maybe. Low. Like a tie for 93rd. Maybe. Which would be better than, a, better than nothing. It would be. Speaking of, we'll be right back with my number one. I cheated everybody by putting a movie that came out during the podcast as my number one film. Get fucked. <laughs> um, no, this podcast has not been very personal. Personal experiences for me haven't been a role really at all, I would say. They've been attached to memories. They've been attached yeah. to experiences they experiences but they haven't had this experiential is that the right word they haven't had this kind of like gut biome sort of reaction well i think i've thought a lot about this and in regards to this movie and i'm glad you're saying that i think one of the differences between us is that you've taken and we kind of talked about this last week and i don't mean this in a bad way take movies for granted you just you trust movies you know they're going to be there. They've always been there. Like, so you, every movie in a lot of ways is an experience. It's, or it's part of a larger experience of being a movie lover, of being really passionate about movies. Is that a movie really has to kick your fucking ass for you to be like, here's like, you know, this is why this experience is different than all of these other experiences. Because I kind of see you like, it's like an all movie. Every movie you watch is just like another link in a chain of like this really long movie. Mm. But there are some of mo- there are some movies which like have are bigger links or have more interesting links or have other little charms or something hanging off of them to differentiate them from the other things. I don't know if that's fair, but that's kind of how I've been thinking a lot about it, and that's kind of how I've kind of I've interpreted your your list. Yeah, I, I think that's accurate. I think my experience with art so far. Has for the longest time is the way that John Cusack experiences art mm-hmm. in High Fidelity. Mm-hmm. In the fact that he is listing things and ranking things, and those things are the things that define him not so much because they changed him, but because of it feels as though it's expressing what he is. Uh-huh. Um, if that makes sense. Or who he wants to be. Or who he wants to be. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, who he wants to be or, or, or who he wants other people to see. Mm, He's trying yeah. to give a definition of what he is, a definition of, um, you know, it's more for other people. And mm. film for me is, a, is that a lot of times. Okay. The films I've had a really deep emotional connection to in the past um, where I've been like, this is kind of, this is me. Um I've had that way of just being like, I want other people to know what I am. 
mm-hmm. want other people to know this is who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was more of an external kind of force. It was more of um, it had this air, this this I don't want to say facade, but it had this artifice that was constructed in a way that I wanted people to see mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's why I wanted myself to be. Um, and when I would show a film to somebody and they didn't respond to it in that way, I'd, I'd kind of take like a little affront to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would see it as a kind of chastising of me as a person. Mm. But it was weird because those things didn't really connect with me. Didn't really, weren't, really who i am or how i kind of see the world Mm -hmm. i looked forward to portrait of a lady on fire for four or five months i think it was my bike we were waiting for a while yeah yeah. for me though it was like by and far my most anticipated movie i talked about wanting to see that for a while i didn't know why i was so struck to it probably because of it it visually Well, the Looks reviews stunning. were all yeah. like, "This is amazing," but Neon just like they fucked everything up. Other because, than because of Parasite. Because Parasite, yeah. Um, and so finally, February twenty eighth, twenty twenty, ten days before disaster, um, or eleven days, whatever. Uh, I I drove out to the only theater I was playing it with with my friend Dan, mm-hmm. uh, at the Madison Art Cinema. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And right. they were. They were, it was a bunch of Yales, Yaleys there, Yale art, like, s- professors and students. Mm-hmm. Not really students, just more professors and, like, older people there mm-hmm. who were in the art and film community of Yale. And there was, like, a Q&A afterwards, which I didn't really stick around much for because I didn't give a shit at that point. Because when I saw this film, it felt as though... I could predict the lines that were coming uh-huh. because it's how I actually am. Who? At both of them? Yeah. It's it's how I I am I mean, I don't have a lot of romantic comedies on here or romantic films, but like through and through, if you know me, even though I bury it, I'm very much like a romantic sort of person. Uh, and yeah, I buried yeah, yeah. it for years. Yeah, yeah. I buried that for years. Um and it was a trilogy of films this past year and leading into 2021 that kind of shook me to my fundamental core. It was the first time where a film really broke me mm. in a way. The first time. And I can, is, I can attest to that, people. I have seen Portrait of a Lady on Fire now. 25 times that's it <laughs> ba- yeah basically once every other week hmm. um since yeah, I mean, at the beginning though it was it was a lot it was yeah but then i started being able to go outside and, <laughs> like do other stuff on my weekends like before I'd just be like i'd be drinking alone because of pandemic you know zoom chats would end at like 11 and i just go downstairs drunk and watch portrait of a lady on fire mm-hmm. and cry again um this film uh, later, I'm thinking of ending things, and Nine Days were kind of this weird trilogy of films that feel like a cleansing mm. to me. But um, this is the one. This is the film, the only film I've ever seen. And it's crazy to say this in a podcast about film that has truly stripped me and 
I don't necessarily say makes me want to be a better person because that's not true, mm-hmm. but makes me want to be a rawler person. Mm-hmm. Makes me want to be a person who, and I'll and I'll say I'll really say what what gets to me in this film. Um, and and I felt with this confederation of I don't know, confederation is not the right term. Uh, this 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 conglomeration of events happening all at once. Um, a person that really is important to me moving back that weekend. Uh, the world ending two weeks later, mm. um, and this film, you know, just just really, and and other stuff that would happen a few months afterwards lit a fire under my ass, and it was the fr- it was, it's not a perfect movie by any means, um, but it's, and I hate saying this because I'm a man, but I guess it's it's my movie. Um, even though it's not, you know, it just feels weird because, like, everything they say about, like, the, the, the criticism and the art criticism of it and, you know, the, the female gaze aspect of it. But it's it's so raw. Um, and, and I'll get to that in a bit. But uh, the movie is the 2020. I'm not going to say 2019 because I gave it Best Picture in 2020. And that's when it came out in America, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. L'homme intéressé par ma fille est milanais. Nous partons là-bas, s'il le portrait lui plaît. Il a épuisé déjà un peintre avant vous. Que s'est-il passé Je ne sais pas. Il vous attend. Marianne is uh, a painter who has gone to the island of Brittany um, to paint Eloise, who's to be married. Mm-hmm. Um, she, Eloise was originally kind of in a nunnery in a convent. Um, her sister was, was planned to be married to this, this rich Italian man. Um, but her sister, for all intents and purposes, most likely committed suicide to escape this world. Mm-hmm. And now uh, the, the Countess uh, 
you know, good old hotshots part two, Valerie Galino, um, is is there to now give away Eloise to kind of continue her. You get the idea of continuing like the status that they have or whatever. Sure. Um, it doesn't. It's, that part's not important. Uh, Marianne is there to covertly paint Eloise because Eloise refuses this marriage. She doesn't mm-hmm. want to be married. She wants to be free. She wants to be independent. Um, now Countess disappears, and we're just left with Marianne, Eloise, and the servant who ends up more being a friend than a servant, Sophie, mm-hmm. um, who's going through her own issues, which I feel is the weakest part of the film is the entire abortion subplot. Even though it serves a purpose, I'm not a big fan of it. Um, it, it works. It's not for me. It, you know, that's that's the thing that's it's important. doing a job. It's, it's doing a job. It's a job that I don't mean the same thing. No, yeah, it's it, it's important to the film. It's not important to me. Um, eventually, through going on walks together, because she's meant to, Marianne's meant to be her companion, Eloise's walking companion. Um, the two start to fall for each other. Um, Marianne eventually reveals that she's been painting Eloise, but can't capture her. And Eloise agrees to sit down and be painted to give another five days while the Countess disappears. And during this time, uh, Marianne and Eloise fall into a love affair, a very short, torrented, torrent, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, torrential, Um, torrential sort of love affair um, that moves at, at breakneck pace through all the moments of of a relationship um at the end of those days the countess returns uh and marianne ultimately sort of makes the decision uh to not really ask eloise to you know run away from all this um she's she's given basically the opportunity to do so Mm -hmm. but she chooses not to um and we are left knowing that marianne uh, as sees Eloise twice later on, um, once in a painting um, that was commissioned when Eloise is now a wife and has a young child, but is, has her book open to page 28, which mm-hmm. is the portrait of Marianne that Marianne drew for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later at um, a performance of Vivaldi's Summer, uh, which is Marianne's favorite piece, it leads to a great great two and a half minute sequence of just focusing on Delanelle's face as she goes through the cascade of emotions mm-hmm. um, that comes with 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 remembering that, that love affair um, happiness ending ending with, with, with a significant amount of melancholy um, you think so? I think so for who? I, I don't know I, I don't know Maybe it's just it's just what I see, mm. and I'm not gonna say if it's right or not. Because mm. um, this is the thing this this is is a movie that I think a lot of the opinions on it and a lot of the analysis on it is correct. Um, and I'm not here to say like any of that's wrong, and this is what this film's actually trying to do, because none of that matters yeah. to me. Because this movie transcends all of that for me. Mm-hmm. It, it, mm-hmm. It's, it is something that is... I cannot objectively look through the art lens. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it is such a personal experience for me, Al. Uh, there are... I, I'm not the type of person, we've talked about this so many times, who breaks down a scene. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, neither of us are types of people who 
you know, as you talked about with the great movies um, book, Roger Ebert breaks down scenes numerous times and says, like, that's how you got to see it and whatnot. This is a film where actually it broke down a scene. I watched that bonfire scene multiple times in a row. Mm-hmm. Just, I don't know if it was intentional, um, but it, it's it's blocked in such a way that hit me on every level. The fact that, you know, they turn to Eloise and Marianne turn to each other and smile. Eloise then fully turns to her to kind of, like, present herself as, like, this vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It, you hearken back to an earlier scene, another great scene where the two of them tell each other their tells, and Marianne starts breathing with her mouth open. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's a very small thing. You know, Nomi Merlant's mouth just barely opens, but she gets that like guttural sort of breath to her. And then when Heloise's dress catches on fire, that's when Mary Ann then turns full foot towards her, and. Positioning of feet has always been a thing. I, this this movie speaks to me on so many levels of how, and maybe, maybe I'm an infant till still when it comes to to the way the love works and the way romance works and the way you feel mm-hmm. when you're in love. Um, that rawness and that storm. But having been in love like several times in the past. And never being able to express it because I was afraid of being that vulnerable. Mm-hmm. This movie does it, does speaks everything to that vulnerability hmm. in me. Um, the part that breaks me, that broke me when I saw this. Mm-hmm. And I saw this, you know, when I'm thirty, what am I thirty three when I see this? And they're sitting together in bed. You know, it's that scene that <laughs> SNL kind of mocked this past week in a. Uh, you know, lesbian, what was that called? Lesbian, lesbian period, period drama. Period drama where they're, you know, Eloise and Marianne are sitting there. Um, and there's, there's like dramatic really moments before that, but Eloise are kind of like laying there looking at each other. And she's like, I, they're saying the remembering thing. And she says, I'll remember the first time you laughed. And she says, um, you know, Marianne says, I remember the first time you laughed. And Eloise says, you know, you took your time being funny. And then Marianne says, I wasted time. Mm. And then Eloise says, I wasted time, too. And I just, like, broke down sobbing. Remember, I remember you telling me about that. Yeah, During yeah. that. It just shattered me. Because for the longest time, I've, I've been the type of person, no, no, I don't think anybody gives a shit about this. This is, But this is pivotal film number one, because go, go fuck yourself. Move on to the next episode. Yeah, why are you <laughs> listening to this if you didn't yeah, want well, this actually, to be in the number one, <laughs> the number one episode? If you want the actual review of the film, go back a year. Um, I, I was forever was the type of person, and I still am, and I'm working on it, was the type of person who just would not say what I wanted because it wasn't the appropriate thing to say or it felt like it was putting a person out or it felt like it was... It, it just didn't... It, it needed to have a wall. I needed to have a wall to be safe for my... to, to protect myself. Yeah. And this movie... Like, it felt like when they they say I wasted time. And, you know, Eloise says, like, the first time I wanted to kiss you was days before. And, you know, this is a movie that, that even though it's a romance in five days, is really just more of a concentrated sort of romance of any sort. You know, it's it's told in, for me, it's told in those five 
it's 10 days, but like the actual romance happens in like five or four or five days because of the fact that like you need narratively to tell the story in that short of a time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first time Eloise wants to kiss Marianne is, you know, double that time before when they first play at the harpsichord, mm-hmm. um, the scene in the beginning. Um, and when they say I wasted time, I just look at the angle like, I see that. I, 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 I felt that. Mm-hmm. rawness to my bone of just like always being afraid and always playing the safest route and playing the, the the path of least resistance with relationships just or with kind of like anything a lot of things relationships mostly um i i was never never have been like a very assertive person even when i get all the signs or whatnot relationships but also like in work or in my life in general, I've all I've never really put my fist to the ground and been like, "This is what I want and what I need." And mm-hmm. I st- I still don't. But this movie stirred something in me. Um, that was like, you know, you're wa- you are wasting time. And then ten days later, the earth stops. You get all the time in the world, and. You know, I, I set this this course in my mind of like I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna do it, um, and then it happens, and it's like it just screams at me, and I watch this movie multiple times afterwards, screams at me, going like, "You had an opportunity so many times to to have not just been alone during all this, mm-hmm. um, but you made that decision because you were afraid, because you were wanting to play by." the rules that you had invented mm. um, in, in society that you felt your role was. Um, and now you're unhappy here because of that. Mm-hmm. You have wasted time. And this is kind of like your punishment for that. And that then has things start to turn the corner uh, leads to, I'm thinking of ending things where it's just like, this is kind of like, if you continue down that road, mm. like, there's a possibility, not, not a possibility of that, but like it's just like the, the ultimate dark example of it. Um, but yeah, this, this film, just in every way, just speaks, to, just spoke to me. And then I, I needed to show it to other people mm, to be like, of this, course. Is, yeah, yeah. this is me. And I showed it to a person who's super important to me. And she looked at me and said, like, I don't really get it. And I was like, uh, before in the past, I would have been upset. And it's that time where I was just like, it doesn't matter because it's me. Mm. Like, this is a me thing. Mm-hmm. And I know you're not, I know you won't get, I know I'm not going to be able to yet express it to you, but I'm glad, you know, her or just well, other people in general, other people in general yeah. too. It's it's nice to have something where if somebody doesn't get it, it doesn't matter because it's just me. This is how right now in that moment I see the world. And yeah. get it if you get it, don't get it if you don't get it, but this is if you're the type of person who looks at Portrait of a Lady on Fire and fully gets it and like feels that in every way, me and you kind of probably see the world in really similar ways. Mm-hmm. Um this 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 timidness, this fear, and then when you know you finally allow yourself to take that step, you just give yourself over to it. Yeah. Um and you know you 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 are vulnerable you're completely vulnerable there's no sense of 
of control. There's no sense of, of needing domination, but there's just an absolute sort of ripping yourself apart and just like, this is what I am, and I'm, I'm happy about it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when it ends and, and Eloise asks her, like, you know, like, are you ask are you asking me to resist? And I'm just like, I'm just screaming to myself, like, I would say no, but say yes. Mm-hmm. And then when she says no, I'm like, that's what I'd do. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, and it just, it, it was like, obviously not intended. Since the end, I was like, got the, uh, the old car lighter and we just put it on my arms. Just like, ah, you know, and, and, and it's it's nice because I, I I think this is a raw film. I think it's it is lean. Oh sure, like just bearing herself. I, I, and and it's amazing to me that I look at myself. I look at myself and go like, oh, I think I could like just present like how I feel in words or whatnot. And I see something like this, and I'm like, I can't do it yet. But like this exists now, hmm. and if I can't say it properly because of my fears and my reluctance and my past issues. Um, in life that we won't get into, um, <laughs> that there's something exists that isn't a facade of what I'm trying to present. That isn't something that is what I want other people to see. It's just me. And if you get it, great. And if you don't get it, that's also fine. But there it is. And mm. it's the first and only film that's ever existed that is that. Um, It'd be great yeah. if you just said, you're wrong. <laughs> no, I mean, I've, been, I, I've mentioned this to you before. I've been kind of dreading this experience only because, like, I don't... I, I think it's an excellent film. Um, I think it's got a lot of flaws. But because it doesn't mean, any the, doesn't mean anything to me, it's... it's um, I'm looking at it just from, like, a, like all the traditional ways that you yeah. look, at, look at a movie. But that's what we're, we're fucking talking about here. You know what I mean? It's this conversation goes beyond um, any of those, any of those like kind of fundamental craft elements that you look at when you like go to review a movie. So like, if someone were to like, if someone were to re- like read, if someone synthesized what you just said into like a, re- a film review, people would be like, "Okay, but what did you think of the movie?" You know what I mean? That's what they would say. And, and I'm not saying that, like, you're wrong for saying that. I'm just saying that people are dumb, and they just really want you to tell them what to think of a movie from the terms of a movie. But I think one of the things that I would hope anyone who has listened to all or most or even one of these episodes other than this one would be that what we're saying any in any given week is that there's these things called movies that kind of reach out and do a little work to some aspect of your of your life. There's these things called, or if it's not movies for you, then it's paintings. And if it's not paintings, it's books. If it's not that, it's movies. If it's not that, it's sports. If it's not Music. that, it's, you know, whatever. It's There's something... What it's I think, never Play-Doh. It's interesting. No, it's never Play-Doh. I, I mean, I like Play-Doh. I do. Too. I mean, he kind of reoriented a lot of, but he didn't reorient anything. He just kind of, and we'll talk about that next week. I'm not oh, talk about Play-Doh. No, Play-Doh. Oh, I thought you meant Play-Doh. No, I meant Play-Doh. <laughs> uh, if we were not titling this episode Portrait Related, I'd probably call it Play-Doh. Play-Doh's Play-Doh. 
Um, it's like the Allegory of Cave episode. Nice callback. That is nice. Um, I didn't even mean for that to happen. And that, that's the thing. Like, even giving... If somebody asked me to review this film from a critical eye, it would almost... It would be impossible for me to do it. Because this is the thing. I, this is the way I see the world. When I am in love with somebody, and when I, I see all their flaws, and I see all that, I, like, I see all the, the, the red flags, not the red, the yellow flags, um, the things that other people, the things that other people would criticize and be like, well, what's up with that? Or, you know, like, all the things that, like, should give you pause, like, would give, not necessarily pause, but would just, like, I see it, but it doesn't matter. It, it, because that is part of the whole. Mm. That, I would never get rid of. Like, I wouldn't want to see that. And then it's, it's the same thing with art that I love or with moments that I love or with memories that I love. There, there might, there's imperfections and I know those imperfections because I overanalyze everything in my life. Uh Um, but I don't know if changing those imperfections would diminish my love of that moment or that person or that thing. You know, I can see them. I can respond to them. I know it. I can 100%, you know, um, understand another person's criticism of it, but I can't, and I, but I can't necessarily express to you like why it's perfect for me or whatnot. Um, because of the fact that imperfections are part of the Zenith of my feelings. Yeah. Or something, if that makes any sense. I think it does. Sense? Um, and I would argue that I think when you told me you were going to kind of do this to your list, I was like, good. That makes way more sense than the way you had it before. But North by Northwest. <laughs> right. And I think the reason why it's important, not just for the, like, to have a better podcast, you know, I mean, because what's the North by Northwest conversation at the end? It's just a movie that I really like that's really influential and that means a lot to me for, you know, these very normal reasons, but it's not doing the work that this movie is doing from uh, progressing in your life standpoint. And I, and I think I think actually the, these two movies are perfect next to each other because North by Northwest being my number one is who I am in January, February 2018 when I write that list and we talk about starting this podcast. And Portugal Lady on Fire is who I become, you know, now. It's like a, it's like, it's almost like an episode zero. Or it's like a, it's like a, it's like a nexus point in your, it represents like a nexus point in your life. I'm sure There's, if I, I'm sure if I redid my pivotal film list now and actually sat down and thought about it, it would look much different. Sure, it would sure. be, it would be like more like your list in the fact of like, right, things that gut punch me. But I would say. Die Hard and Lethal Weapon still be on that list. So would the guess. Of course. Uh, all of your movies might still be on the list. They just they might just be reordered. What I was kind of going to say is that I think one of the really interesting things about this movie, and I think the scene that we played at the beginning is a really interesting example in the sense that this movie works 100% on a sensory level. And it's it's um, traditional novel sensory stuff. Um, it's not movie sensory stuff. So in a traditional movie, you'd have music and you'd have that... like. Before, like underneath the harpsichord playing, you'd have some kind of like subtle music directing, like the emotion. As um, Heloise is glancing at Noemi, you're just like, um, or uh, Marianne, um, there'd be some kind of like, you know what I mean? There'd be some kind of little thing to kind of 
articulate for the viewer what's happening with the thing. Also, I feel like in a different kind of movie, and this is also, you know, this is shit's going on in that lesbian period drama sketch too. There's very specific things that are happening in that are supposed to be happening in a movie like this. And this movie doesn't do any of those things. This movie is content to say, to trust the chemistry of the performers or to trust the performers to articulate a chemistry between these two characters and then let that chemistry um, ignite when there's nothing else happening. So you have these weirdly, kind of like the scenes with, um, we were just talking about it, yeah, but uh, I- with Peter Sarsgaard and, no. um, and Hayden Christensen, no. where they have such intense chemistry they're both whatever actors you know i mean it doesn't you know, i'm not making qualification of their acting abilities the nature of whatever they're doing is created this kind of like intense spark between them this but that's you know about newspaper writing about plagiarism it's it's meaningless it's awesome but it's also totally meaningless you have two women here i like Dennis larry plagiarism's okay in my book yeah <laughs> well it just depends on the context um you have these two women here who um, Celine Siama has really uh, intelligently shown that, like, they have no, they have no options, and they have been given the gift of this one option. This is not a thing that's supposed to happen. Um, Heloise, Heloise's alternative is to, to either get married or kill herself. Like, there's not like a ton of other things. Um, Marianne or was, kill the countess, or, or kill the countess. But there's not like anyone there, and Sophie the would film never back presents her up. that. But, um, yeah. but Marianne, we've talked about this before. Marianne grew up in a different background, so she uh, was offered a different life. It's not a life that's going to afford her lots of riches or fame or fortune or security, or um, it's not going to allow her to escape the ridicule of whatever town she's in because now she's just a lonely spinster that can't get married and blah 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 blah. Her but talents she, are never going to be seen because she's always writing. She's always creating her stuff under her father's name. That's the right. way it's getting displayed. So it's it's that's all that stuff is is there. It's fine. What's not there, and what most movies would tell you, is well, these people are these people are in love, and they would just ram it down your throat. These people are in love, but this movie doesn't do that. It lets looks and breathing and the way they hold their body and position their heads and the way they look at each other and the way they point their feet and stuff like that the way they their the way they stand like are their hands in their pockets you know what i mean and then their hands are not in their pockets um what are the shoulders doing that really clumsy scene where they were like pulling down each other's masks and and stuff like that i mean i i get why she did it it's clumsy but i get why she did it um man also Great to have a 2020 movie in February. Have a lot of masks be an important part of it, huh? I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm I mean, watching this again. Going like, oh man, those are, it's not stopping any COVID. Um, oh, maybe Marianne's mask is. Um, I think what you're articulating, you called it a rawness, but you also use the word like facade. I think it's, for myself. No, but I think it's even it's it's. I think something like North by Northwest is. A facade. Oh, for sure. Titchcock admits it. For sure. And I think, and this is not to say that, like, a lot of your other movies present facades. I think the reason that this movie probably moves you so much is it's like 
the facade exists when existed when you went to see it, and then this movie just went like no facades, no like skin, like you. It's just raw flesh now, and we're gonna poke at it, and we're gonna like burn it, and we're gonna fucking stab it, and we're gonna do all this shit to it. And if you can fucking take it, you have like a number one movie. You know what I mean? Because that stuff doesn't come easy for you. You don't walk around with exposed skin, like, hoping to get stabbed. You know what I mean? You were excited for this movie, but I don't think you were, like, peeling your flesh off, like, hoping that, like, this was going to, like, poke you in your bone. I was hoping it was going to be really good. Right. I'll say this, too. Interestingly enough, I doubt it has any connection. My friend Dan, who saw this movie with me, said it was the best film he's ever seen. Three months later, he was engaged, and now he's married, so... That's fast. He did all that work during a pandemic. Yeah. Go get go get him, Dan. Did it. They moved to Syracuse. Why would you do that? Because his wife is a surgeon in Syracuse. So. Yeah, I guess that's a good reason. Making the money. He's also making the money. He's a lawyer. That, that's a wealthy... <clears throat> I mean, that's a have you ever been couple. to Syracuse? I have been. I had to move him up there. Oh, or drive up there. To it's live terrible. There. The yeah, terrib- I'm going up, I'm going the up there next month. Yeah. It's why I've always found it really hard to talk to you about this movie. Not because I don't like it and not because you're, uh, like, you talk about it stupid or because you're saying like weirdo stuff that I just like, well, I don't know about this fucking guy. It's like I know what that feels like and it's not mine. I got nothing to say about it. I could say tons of stuff about it as a movie if you want. And maybe like a year from now, we'll separate from this list and be like, listen, let's just buckle down and like look at like the film. You know what I mean? But what would be the value in that? You know what I mean? If only to get Megan on this podcast so she could like do her Megan stuff with this movie. Oh, I would rip that fucking shit to pieces, my friend. Don't, don't worry. Um,. There's yeah, there's there's like two ways to go with that. There's like the willfully not wanting to see what's there because so one thing I'll say to you is that oh I suppose I just want to reassure you is that I think the things that you're feeling about this movie are real. And oh, you don't absolutely. need me to like tell you that, but they're in the film. So anyone that says they're not are just not watching it right. No, you know no, what I mean. Like, nobody's, nobody that's ever seen this film has said that to me. Like they've just said, "I don't get it," and I'm like, "That's fine." But they've never said like you're wrong about that. Like you're wrong about feeling that. But way. what I would argue is that not getting it is kind of the same thing because there's nothing not to get. What they're not getting is the way that you are, the way that it's broken you down. But if you watch the movie. I mean, my wife watched it on her own just because I was like, this is Mario's favorite movie. And I, she was watching it when we were doing this podcast. I came home and she was like watching it. And when it was over, she was like, wow, that was really good. And she's not a person who like gets moved by films. She just likes to watch things. But she's ultimately kind of mostly indifferent to everything. Mm-hmm. She just likes things or she doesn't like it, whatever. Um, the fact that she was like, wow, that was really good to this, to nine days... But again, for nine days, we're married. So when she watched nine days, she's like, I can see why you really like that. Like, it's like the first thing out of her mouth. I was like, I don't want to hear that. Like, I want to hear what you think. Yeah. I know what I think of it. I don't care if you, I don't care what you think about what I think about it. I just want to know what you think about it. Um, but I think to, I think to something like this, 
I think one of the reasons that I think Celine Siyama is uh, kind of moving into like the semi-genius category. Oh, I'm not crazy about her earlier stuff, but it kind of all it uh, it it suggests what she's doing here is she's she exposed all those nerves. You know what I mean? Like she did all that stuff. She made all the choices. They're not always the right. They're not always like the best choices or my favorite choices or choices that like make a ton of sense like from a metaphor standpoint or whatever but like just in terms of from an emotion standpoint it, oh, it is all emotion and it, real emotion and it didn't feel like she was ever do I don't know, you know this is obviously just coming from me who's going to be very biased but it doesn't ever feel like she's doing it because she's like this is what the audience will respond to no nope. it feels like she's doing because she's like this is how I feel. It's an, I think go fuck yourself if you don't care. But not even like this is how I feel. This is how these women feel. No. And I've she set it up and the way that they are acting and the nature of the the story that she's telling, it's where the abortion I suppose that abortion subplot can be anything. She just needs to get those two women across a bonfire from each other. But and that's where I kind of I fall on the side of Pro the abortion storyline. And I there's there's nothing wrong with it. No, I, no it's the just, only reason I over gloss over it is because like it's just not pivotal. It's not me. it's not doing any of the extra work. It's not it's what you're perceiving this movie is doing or the work that this movie is doing. That doesn't do anything except for stage them where they need to be at that moment, and that's how they get. It. I mean, that's the payoff for the, the whole abortion thing is at that scene, right? The scene where they're at the... Um, at the bonfire. No, not the bonfire. The bonfire comes before that. The, no, no, the, but the, like... The, the fire, the, the posing scene. They draw the... No, but I mean, uh, for me, the bonfire scene is always like the, is the key scene. And you do the abortion thing. You, you finish the abortion thing later yeah. because you got to finish it because you did it. But what you needed to do is you needed to get those women in that setting. And they weren't just going to be there. There had to be this extraneous reason that they were both following this girl around other than like, hey, guys, I'm going to a sing-along at a bonfire. Why don't you come? You know what I mean? Because they, they wouldn't have done that because they're not going to sing-along. You know what I mean? They got no use to sing song. I don't even know that song. Um, so it's, 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 doing a lot of narr- it's doing a lot of narrative work. But I think... The interesting thing about it is that Celine Siama doesn't isn't content to just make it. There's like a little virtue signaling going on in this movie, but I don't think it's in the abortion stuff. The abortion stuff seems very um, necessary to get those two for to get Marianne to understand through the visual through the metaphor of like Eloise burning. And she's like, oh, yeah, she's literally burning. Like, <laughs> she's burning in, like, more ways than one. But now I can see she's burning. She just needs that. But she's got to set that shit up. And I think that stuff is real. And I think that stuff is, is, is difficult and complicated um, and is fully earned. Like, if there was another thing in the middle of that, maybe the, the romance doesn't work so well. You know what I mean? You have to have them rallying around some other cause besides their own their own shit. You know what I yeah. mean? Because they're not gonna... They've had opportunities to push their faces into each other and they haven't taken it. You know what I mean? They ha- there has to be these kind of inciting incidents that make it 
them understand what each other wants without either of them saying anything because neither of them are going to say anything. They're just fucking not going to do it. You know what I mean? So they have to do it with glances. You have to do it with fire. You have to do it with Best Supporting Actor nomination, The the Wind. You know what I mean? Um, in that case, you have to do it with costume design. You have to do it with all this stuff um, so that when it happens, it's not just satisfying uh, a narrative, a, a romance from like a, the narrative perspective. Like they have to be in a romance. It's satisfying something deeper. And I think the magic of the way that you've interacted with this movie is that you were in tune to the depth of it, like you know, from the beginning. You know what I mean? You didn't have to like, like wade through a bunch of like cinematic garbage to be like, well, this movie is beyond all that stuff. This movie is just is an open feeling that I'm just going to jump to. Yeah, it feels it feels like a raw wound, honestly. Mm. I think it plays like... <coughs> oh, man, unfiltered. I think it plays like a raw wound. I think that's fucking... That shit is real. That's a real thing. Yeah. And fuck everyone that doesn't understand at least that. At least that. Yeah. Because if you're not... You just don't want to. Because they're in the same position that you were in before you saw this movie. <laughs> I just, these are things that need to be said by Tom. No, I understand. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's... it's yeah, uh, but it's, it's good. Because, it, it, yeah, I would have... In a different part of my life, in in a different moment, five five six years ago, I would have never. I would have put. I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. The right weekend, probably. Um, the right general sense of of fear, because like I was terrified of coronavirus, because I was like reading all the news about the stuff happening and all that, and it felt like it was going to be a thing. I was driving to Florida. To go uh, to amusement parks. Oh, right. I forgot about that. But I, I just... um, Like, everything... That... Those couple weeks, like, felt like a big change was coming, right? Mm, uh, mm. From a personal, like, biographical standpoint. Autobiographical, I guess, would be. Um, and then this... So, I guess I was just in tune with it. And, and I'd already done some work before to just be more open... Um, and then when I saw this, it just bricked that apart. And it just made me, like, like, I have to give credit to this film. That's the best credit I could ever give is, like, this is the film that makes me now go, like, fuck it. Like, I still have the issues of, like, not necessarily always expressing my needs, not always necessarily expressing whatever, but I just ultimately don't give a shit um, about, and then this guy's like not how the world sees me, but it lets me be freer to just be like goofy and stupid and lovey. Like I'm just, well, just this movie. This movie just said like just be that person, and if somebody doesn't respond to that, like the fact that like you're outwardly like an affectionate sort of person, um, and outwardly sort of just like a, a optimistic sort of person. Um, which not, not necessarily even this film is, but this movie just says be. This movie just felt like it was screaming at like be true to yourself, to me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, and, and this movie started doing the work of, of just making me do those things. And it feels better to not be like, it just feels good um, to have been from a place where I'd, I always wanted to have people see me who I want them to see me as. And now I'm just like, I don't care. Like, I know I'm not like a person who's going to hurt other people or you know cause any sort of strife or struggle or whatnot. You might think I'm too um, ridiculous and goofy or whatever. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Irreverent. Um, but like, this is what this film says. It's like because Marianne is like really kind of tight in the beginning, and then she becomes like her being funny is a part of it. Mm-hmm. It's like she starts like cracking jokes and being loose with herself finally after she's willing to open up. Mm-hmm. Like I see myself. Absolutely, in Marianne, like hmm. through and through. Um, you know, and when she's able to be loose and herself, you know, like she feels freer. She doesn't care about like how the world sees it around her. She's yeah. willing to say like, "This is my art. This is my artwork. I put on my father's name because I have to." And you know, well, she's and she says, and she even said when she says like, "You painted me as you, you sketched me as sad and she's like I was but not anymore I actually believe that like she's sad that Eloise is gone but she's I feel as though whereas Eloise isn't there yet like for me this is how it ends Eloise isn't there yet and it's unfortunate because maybe she's stuck Mm. and that's sad that bugs the shit on me because she's stuck in a place where maybe she's never going to get there which she might but Marianne is at least opening herself to just be like not give a shit to just, just be an independent free woman and yeah it's the interesting aspect of this from a, uh it's an interesting choice to make something like this a period piece because it sets some pretty strict narrative boundaries that if you if she were to kind of deviate from would make this movie totally unbelievable which is also hilarious because then she shoots it like purposely shoots an 8k to make it contemporary feeling but it's also it also is by shooting it in 8k she's made like a wholly sensual movie oh, out of absolutely. people's faces and looking at stuff. I mean, there's one of the great things about this movie is the ways that um, um, Adele Hanal looks weirdly unattractive sometimes. Like when she turns her head in a weird way, she's just like, there's like this rictus on her face where she's not like, she's not like the first time she turns her head is like, you know, when she's running and she's like, been waiting to do that my whole life or whatever. I I, see, I see it as like expressive. And somebody well, said that's, that. Like, I mean, so this is where I would argue that yeah. you are, there's like a, yeah, yeah, there's yeah, like yeah, a yeah. coating over it. But there's a lot of scenes in this movie where her, she's just, her mouth is just contorted in a weird shape because she's just, she's in pain. She's like legitimately in pain. Oh, I see what you're saying. By like, the, like, the manners in which she's just stuck in this world. And I, I see. I, no, I, I see what you're saying. I, she's, I agree. By having this experience, the, and I think it's where this movie is really interesting narratively, is that um, Marianne, this experience is going to move her in a different way that it's going to move um, Eloise. Eloise. Because she can do anything she wants. She can't do certain stuff, but she can do all the stuff that Eloise wants. Eloise can't do the stuff that Marianne does, but she can do other things. She can get out of this house. Being married to a guy in like that time period isn't like the same thing as being like married to someone now. You know what I mean? Like that guy, depending on what his job is, 
may never be home. You know what I mean? It, she may be free to like experience life outside of that shitty castle um, on that she, island. She sees Vivaldi play by herself. Absolutely. There are benefits to letting go of some of the of of some of her reservations about moving on with her life. You know what I mean? I mean, it means that she had to have a kid. I don't even want to know what like that experience was like for her. Um, but the movie's not interested in telling you about that. You know what I mean? I mean, I suppose you could look into the history of, of women like her and understand that it was just like something you did. You know, that's not to uh, condone like any of the way that like men acted or that women were kind of subjugated back then. But I think, interestingly, Celine Siama is not super interested in, in rewriting history in that in that way the men of it don't necessarily they're, they don't even factor there. it they're there they're like this they're looming over this everything fucking dark cloud sure but she doesn't it would be un, it would be weird for Marianne and Eloise to meet each other later like in a cafe and have a conversation that shit's not fucking happening it ain't gonna happen unless Michael Caine is also there well but he probably was just kind of hanging out just nods his head Oh. Levitt then finds the... But I just, I mean, it's... Oh, yeah, what, what if they remade Inception, got rid of Marion Cotillard? No, Inception, and, no, no, I was talking about Dark Knight Rises. Oh, okay, because they're both in Inception too. Um, it's a complicated movie, and you make it very, you make it much more complicated, but, like, in a good way. I mean, and that's the thing, like, if you get it, you get it. If you don't get it, cool. I don't care. No, no, no. I mean, I, I agree with you in that regard because it's not not their thing. And that's why I think it's – when I said it before about I was so glad that you changed your list in this way because you've ended with a thing that's yours. This is your thing. You know what I mean? Like it, it exemplifies an aspect of yourself which North by Northwest doesn't. Um, which is funny because North by Northwest exemplified like the what I – thought a man should be aloof and cool and nothing phases him and he gets out of things through like talking and aged 20 years by alcohol and smoking i mean <laughs> take out the smoking but I'm, I'm i'm making a valiant effort on that one um but no it was it was like what i've always had the idealized version of what to be mm. and then this was just like no you're not <laughs> no i think this is the i i mean I'm, this is, i'm coming this at is this, me i'm coming at this from a very different perspective but you could look Ruined. at this. You could look at this and hear all the things I've said about how I feel in life, and be like, "Yeah, that's that's Mario." Well, sure. I mean, but that's of course, and I guess in that regard, they they these two th- movies do well to be right next to each other because one pushed the other one out of the way, and that's what you're saying here. Yeah. Right. Is that like because of this movie? I mean, I'd like to wear the suit still. But. Oh, I mean, we would all like to wear suits like Cary Grant wears suits. That's not gonna happen. That's why I'm eating only chicken and veggies. <laughs> Mario's shotgunning chicken between takes of this episode. I'm gonna have a slimmer cut jean uh, pant though. Don't like the baggy pants. Why don't you like baggy pants? Well, we talked about this last week. I just, I just don't like them. I'm so. Me and my wife were just talking about this. I'm like, I can rock a skinny jean. I, I have w- fucking calves, man. Ugh. No, just not even not like skinny, not 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 skinny jeans, but like a real. Tight not from cut. a looks perspective, it's just not comfortable. I'm so happy I've got all these huge shirts because at some point I'll lose weight and I'll just have like 
a bunch of double XL shirts lying around, and I'll just be so comfy in my big, huge shirts. No, and I'll be very, I'll just be the happiest guy in the world. It's not necessarily skinny jeans that I wear. It's it's the jeans I feel most comfortable in. What I only assume leggings are for women, and that they just like fit next to you. Why would you want that? I just like it. Ugh! It feels like What's wrong with you people. It's not like constraining. It's just like. It feels like an extension of listen, skin. Listen, I slept in my jeans the day that I had my the day after I had my COVID vaccination when I was running like this really great. I was so fucking tired, man. I was running the super awesome fever that never got above like ninety nine point seven. So I was just like a little hot. You know what I mean? Like oh. I was just kind of it, and it didn't spike. It didn't go down for just like ten hours. I was just like. A little warm. Oh man, I feel bad for I people who are gonna get jeans. like the second vaccine during the summer. That's gonna suck. Oh yeah, it's gonna be rough. It's gonna be rough. Yeah. But anyway, jeans think, are comfy. I think I think I think we've done it. Right. We think we did a good job. Yeah. I was, I was very. I was it was a worthy conversation of number one. I actually, I, it makes me uncomfortable about next week. Ooh. I got a show next week, man. I gotta bring it. What's nice is I don't necessarily know, like I've said so often why this is my number one, and I don't really know necessarily why. I know that it is, was a potential to be your number one, but I'm not, I don't know the reason, the in there. I haven't watched it since we started doing this um, podcast. On purpose, because I want it. Because and I watch, I watch these movies all the time. I haven't haven't watched this movie since we started the podcast either. You, I mean, you've seen it what once? Is oh this... no, I'm talking about Portrait of Lady on Fire. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. yeah whatever, Mario. <laughs> no, I I haven't seen the Dokening. <clears throat> Sorry, I haven't seen your number one since. Um... I don't even. What did you? Say? Oh, did you actually say the name? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, oh, I didn't hear it. Um, I haven't seen your number one since since I watched a screener of it like however many years ago. Mm, yeah, I I when I made the list, I was like. Again, I, I watch my number ones or my top movies fairly regularly because I like them. Although I was convinced your two was your one, but I thought your one was your two and your two was your one. Yeah. This is just so much. The- Which would have been easy because I would have known why I knew why your number two was going to be your number one. <laughs> and then it wasn't. And I was like, oh, no. I mean, I think. It- yeah, we'll talk about it. If you don't know why your number twos. Are your number ones? Are your number ones? Are your number twos? Or if you don't even have uh, a your fucking list, are your Stu Graysons? You could tweet us at Film Pivotal, or you can email us at pivotalfilmpodcast@gmail.com, or you can go to pivotalfilm.com. And I swear to Christ, I will update the website this week. Um, I feel like we should end with it updated, right? We should just do that. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, it's, it's means something. Um, Tomorrow will be our last official podcast for this list, and next then week, we'll next week. Next week will be. What did I not say? Tomorrow. Tom, no, we're tomorrow. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> you're, you're like, actually, we're going to record number one right now, and I'm like, I haven't watched your number one. Neither have I. Um, next week, um, I'm excited, and we'll do. We're kind of going to do what we did um, this week no, again. No new movies. We'll just do some reflection on our personal list. Reflectoring. 
on our personalist on the experience um, of doing it and, and podcast uh, in general. Uh, the podcast good. is not ending. No, we're gonna keep. No, doing we're gonna stuff. keep. We're gonna take a little bit of a, a break, a little bit of a break, and recalibrate. And we're gonna kind of keep the keep some of the stuff the same for a little bit until we figure out if we want to do something different. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like it's a fair thing to do. I mean, I, I do like the idea of the sign sound twenty twenty two thing. Oh sure, but we. Have I don't want to do all hundred. We have to get there first. But yeah, I mean, I'm I will probably be run over by a train before then, and I don't even walk near trains. One's coming. Just happened. One's coming. All right, Emin- yeah, eminent domain kind of took over the studio, so we may have to relocate next to a train. So that's the thing that's happening. My Yale is by- Yale is pushing us out. Yeah. Surprisingly enough, we don't actually own the Pivotal Film Tower, but my landlord at the Pivotal <laughs> Film Tower um, has called me three times in the past two weeks to ask me if I've found a roommate for the Pivotal Film Tower, and I have to keep telling him I'm living here alone. Why is he saying that? Because he, I don't know why. Is he being like passive aggressively, like cruel? Is he just like I don't think you can afford this? And yeah, like, yeah, motherfucker. Yeah. I, I like my landlord, but that's why I won't say that. <laughs> I can afford this, <laughs> ladies. Maybe he's being a jerk. Just yeah. like maybe he's just like I don't think you can handle it alone, bud. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Listen, I've been watching you. I have cameras in places you don't know. <laughs> that one bedroom is completely empty, and you look at it and go like, I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> that I one bedroom is completely empty. And you just sit in the center of it, cry. I have a thirteen hundred square foot space for one person. It's too much space. No, it's good. It's good space. It is. But there's gonna be some emptiness. Mm. All right. Speaking of emptiness. Uh, Watch, watch a movie. Drink a beer. Watch beer. whatever you guess that my number one is. Drink a beer. Screen three. Screen, screen four. Well, that's an actually good screen. Right. <laughs> uh, and we will talk to you next week.